Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Early morning, Saturday, holiday weekend, Nolcast, always fun to do. Uh, and I say that seriously. Uh, love being able to catch up with you, Bud, now that you got back from California and uh, certainly not lacking general topics to discuss about the college football world right now. Uh, we will thank the people that make all of these discussions possible. Tarpon Cellars Winery, uh, fantastic wine company out of the Napa Valley there. Ever so fortunate to have the success that we've had with them over the uh, three or four years that we've worked with them. TarponSellers.com is the website. Nolcast is the coupon code. Uh, big shout out to Jeremy and his team and a big thank you uh, for making all of this possible. Louisiana Hot Sauce, always want to acknowledge you too and don't want your three simple ingredients to get jealous. Uh, so with that, bud, let's jump into this Nolcast and uh, we'll get started here. Let's do this thing, man. Quite quite a bit to talk about. I guess we'll just go in uh, in order that we have it here on the sheet. Not necessarily in order uh, of importance, but uh, certainly this first topic that we have uh, is going to impact Florida State uh, in the nearest of futures, I guess we could say. So the ACC is going to a 3-3-5 scheduling model. Uh, for my money, it could not have come uh, could not have come quick enough. I. I like this idea quite a bit. It gets rid of divisions far too frequently. The two best teams in the conference were in one division, which meant you had a rather lackluster championship game. Uh, in fact, in some years, I think you could argue that the three best teams in the league uh, were all in the one division, which almost always was the Atlantic uh, division, the division of FSU, Clemson, and uh, Louisville, NC State, Syracuse, Boston College and Wake Forest. There, I named them all. Uh, are in. That's this is the last year we really have to remember uh, who is in divisions because this is coming in 2023. Uh, FSU has three permanent rotating opponents, and then we'll play everybody else in the league within a two-year span. So that means if you're an athlete on campus, you will play if you play four years. Every single team in your home stadium and their home stadium, which is almost like a conference as opposed to what we have now where you have multiple four-year groups of players who will go without ever playing uh, a game you know, at an, an opposing stadium. I mean, when is the last time FSU played a game at Pitt? 2013? Yeah, that would have been my response. Yeah. The um, old Jameis game, as it's become known. Uh, that's correct. That's correct. Uh, FSU's permanent opponents are... Miami, Clemson, and Syracuse. A couple of ways we can take this. Where, where, where do you want to go first? Do, like the, do you like the opponent opponents? Do you want to go conspiracy theories and, and discuss what? What do you want to? What do you want to do here? I do love a good sports conspiracy theory, but we'll save that for the the second uh, grouping here of conversation. Let's talk about the immediate foes that Florida State has. Uh, you know. The, of the, I guess, power football schools, they're the only two that got two other power football schools in it. Um, you're still in the ACC, though. I'm not going to get too wrapped up in this. Uh, you know, you're still going to get a nice sampling of schools otherwise that really, by all accounts, you should beat just based off football pedigree, resources, and everything else. So uh, I don't want to get too fired up about who Florida State got uh, in this three group pairing. Uh, but it, it is interesting. The, the Georgia tech conversation is one that we need to have being that the, 
you know, there's not much in uh, geographic proximity in this conference. And I guess a five hour ride from Atlanta to Tallahassee is uh, when you look at the broader grouping of schools. Uh, I'm kind of torn on this, man. Personally, obviously, as somebody that's recording from Atlanta, Georgia, I'd love Georgia Tech to be involved. Uh, I think it's been a massive uh, shortfalling of the conference in um, the way that it's grouped schools previously. And the fact that it doesn't have some of its bigger brands in its biggest uh, college football crazy media market, which is Atlanta by far. Atlanta is by far the largest media market that has a college football first focus. Uh, so we can talk about the Georgia Tech issue to an extent. Uh, I understand it to an extent. It's kind of just some of these same old frustrations uh, with the ACC. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge, even if Georgia Tech's not here, um immediately you know the 335 still guarantees you that you see georgia tech what once every other year uh so you know the proximity of uh georgia tech is nice i would have preferred to see them on the schedule i realize you can't just get florida state uh florida state can't just have clemson miami georgia tech as it's three or it would be a fairly tough grouping as to what the ramifications for the rest of the conference would be uh but it was one of the first things that caught my eyes when i looked at this bud it, it as did I. So yeah, I, I agree with you. First of all, on I don't want to hear any complaining about the difficulty of the schedule, right? It's the ACC. This is not a great league compared to the other leagues out there right now, and I just I don't want to hear it. Okay, if you're if you're good, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, if you're recruiting at a top ten level and developing players, and you're committed to winning, you should be able to handle this. Right now, are there maybe the occasional year where Miami plays an easier schedule than you in division and they go instead of you or not in division anymore, excuse me, an, an easier schedule than you in conference and they go instead of you? It's possible. It's certainly possible. But you also have bigger goals like making the playoff. And this will help your schedule strength with that in theory, assuming that the committee ever actually cares about schedule strength as opposed to just straight win loss record. Having Miami and Clemson. I think is is fine, right? Like you're not necessarily if I was an Auburn podcaster, I would probably constantly remind fans that the schedule is what it is because you have to play the SEC West and then also Georgia every year. And that really screws you because you're the one team that has to play an East team, the only East team that is serious about playing at the very highest level. Apologies to Florida and Tennessee. Uh but I, this just doesn't bother me that much as far as the having the two majors on there. And you also need these games to sell tickets and, and have an attractive season ticket package and have fan interest. I mean, can you imagine if you didn't have Miami and Clemson? Alford, Mike Alford, the, the new AD, would have to be throwing a fit. All right, so with that aside, the Georgia Tech issue, I think, is one that is worth discussing. Because if you are a Florida State fan who lives, let's just call it, what, Jacksonville North, maybe Orlando North, to be honest. Uh, the, the other night when my flight almost got canceled from, uh, you know, from Atlanta to Orlando, it's like, do I stay overnight? Do I go see my podcasting buddy Ingram, or do I just get a rental car and and say screw the flight and just drive the rest of the way home? And I was like, it's a pretty reasonable drive uh, to make. That is a drivable road game that I think you would like to be able to do, or a pretty easy flight that you would like to make every other year, right? It's nice to go to Atlanta. It's a good town. Get to go see your, your Knowles play on the road. So I, I do think FSU fans 
would have far preferred Georgia Tech as opposed to Syracuse. Any reason you think fans wouldn't want this? I don't I don't think so, right? I just want to kind of get that out of the way. I can't think of any uh, that fans, any reason why your general fan would not want this. I, I also have to swallow the painful pill that is. I thought we were friends, bud, and here I am, just a podcast buddy. Which oh, my tough, gosh. Tough thing to take on a Saturday morning, but I'll get over it. Don't worry about me. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think fans in general – particularly as you you reference Orlando North, certainly Jacksonville North. Uh, like, look, if you're in Macon or something like that, you certainly want this. Um, just from our podcast listenership, and this is not directly reflective of, of Florida State fandom, but I can tell you guys that, uh, you know, Orlando and Atlanta are two of our three biggest markets by far. Uh, point here being that there's a significant concentration of Florida State fans in Atlanta, as there are a bunch of different college football Fans. It's one of the reasons why it makes it the the college football city that it does. Is you have all these grouping of of uh, schools and alums that come and make their way in Atlanta, and then still retain their allegiance to whether it be Ohio State or Clemson or UVA, blah blah blah. But uh, Atlanta is certainly a large hub for Florida State fans. I do. Uh, I saw the point you put on Twitter, and I'd like to get into this uh, really briefly that perhaps having a game in Atlanta every other year would reduce the drive of some of those fans. And I don't, let me not use drive because that can be confusing, would reduce the desire uh, of some fans to make it down to games otherwise. Um, yeah. I think it's a smart point. I personally disagree with you on this one. I disagree with myself I, on it. Actually. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. I, I was working from the standpoint of, so Andy Staples had reported that FSU asked for Syracuse. And I believe the reason Andy said it was like mar markets or something like that. Now, I don't, uh, I'm not trying to undercut Andy's reporting here. I believe Andy that FSU did eventually ask for Syracuse. I do not actually believe that they wanted Syracuse over Georgia Tech at the outset of this thing. Right. I believe they wanted to get Georgia Tech. And that either were told no by the ACC or by, directly by Georgia Tech. As in, this is kind of what we're, I, I want to break this down in three ways before, we, because I think the conspiracy theory, if they actually legitimately wanted Syracuse, I was trying to work from that standpoint. Okay. It was like, wait, why, if you're FSU, why would you want Syracuse instead of Georgia Tech? And the only real reason I could come up with in my head was maybe the casual college football fans who live in Atlanta who are FSU alumni, because it is such a big alumni base for the Knowles, would have less of an incentive to drive down to Tallahassee if they were actually able to see games, you know, one of their Knoll games every other year in their home city, right? Like for casual fans, that's probably enough. They don't necessarily have quite as much of a drive to get back to Tallahassee. But if the Knowles only come to town every four years, which will be this current arrangement, they would have more incentive to get down attend home games, reconnect with, with, you know, with their school. Now, if you got a better theory for that, if you really believe FSU wanted Syracuse, I'm, I'm all ears, but I don't think that's really what happened. Okay. My guess here is that FSU probably did want Georgia tech initially. And that either Georgia tech said no, because the schedule would be way too tough. Right, which is that's the most common sense thing I can get to because Georgia Tech right now also has to play 
Clemson, and Louisville. Yeah, Two teams and, which are and married to Georgia spending. in the out-of-conference. So yeah. Correct, yeah. Or the other thing I thought about was maybe FSU wanted it, Georgia Tech wanted it, and the other athletic directors were like, whoa, 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 come on. Yeah. Think about this. You have – yeah, go, go ahead. You're, you're, uh, you're I, in the I, media market thing. From, from what my understanding is, this very true. Uh, like, well, you're not – you're not getting the three only schools that actually travel. Like it's, it's just not. We can't do that. We can't give you, uh, you know, Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, Clemson, Florida State, this is, Miami. This uh, is other ads objecting to yeah. the idea of Georgia Tech getting three very lucrative home games in yep. this set. Yep. Because like Wake Forest fans don't travel anywhere, right? Some Syracuse fans actually do travel, which is interesting. We, we we've heard that from our our, you know, our friends locally who own businesses in Tallahassee. NC State kind of travels. Um, Duke don't travel. Virginia, no. Virginia Tech, yeah. Pitt, no. Miami travels to this game. I don't think they really travel to other road games very much. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be extremely lucrative for Georgia Tech. Now, they would probably take a, a ton of losses. you know. Uh, and do you want to sign yourself up to go like a max nine and three every year? Probably not. You don't want that to always be the cap on your like if you're if you're doing everything right and you're like, okay, the best we can do is nine and three. That kind of sucks. So I if I had to rank these in order of likelihood, number one by far is Georgia Tech said no, and FSU had to come up with a second pick, which was Syracuse. Number two is other ADs saying, uh, uh-uh, like we're not gonna not going to load up Georgia Tech from a business standpoint and give you guys that. Number three would be FSU desiring Syracuse because of market. Like that just doesn't pass the smell test for me. Yeah. Um, if you go back, I think it was six weeks ago or so, we did a podcast titled The Future of ACC Scheduling or something of that likes. Uh, I think we were pretty close here. I mean, we talked about the fact that we had heard um, that you know, it was likely going to be Miami. There was some debate as to whether or not Florida State would forever be married to Clemson. Uh, my understanding is the TV network said, yes, you will forever be married to Clemson. Um, and then it was going to come down to, I think we said Georgia Tech, and then that there had been some expressed interest of pairing Florida State with either BC or Syracuse uh, as well. And maybe that's thinking of 15 years ago that you're trying to get TV markets involved, whatever the reason is, uh, we kind of had a a pretty good idea as to what the, you know, grouping of four or five that Florida State was ultimately going to be, you know, was ultimately going to be kind of grouped with or chosen from. uh, And, you know, like you, like you said, originally, it's interesting to talk about. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, complaining about who you have or whatever else. It is the ACC. Uh, I love the fact that the three three five means we're going to see, you know, Charlottesville more, which is one of the best, you know, most beautiful towns in America. You're going to go get to travel to Pitt more. Uh, I do think that this, you know, for as long as we're in the ACC, uh, that this is a such a superior model, and you know, I look forward to seeing what it's like. It's just, you know, if you're in these conferences. Uh, it's nice to see them. It's nice to travel to them. It's nice to have them come to you and not have, you know, freaking wait for us on the schedule every year or whatever else. So um, I'm, I'm excited about what it looks like for as long as it looks like this. 
One hundred percent. Also, I want to give credit here to my, my podcast partner on on Cover Three. Uh, Danny Cannell said there's a lot of calls for the ACC to play a nine game conference schedule like uh, the Big Ten currently does, like the Pac-12. <laughs> Maybe we should go back to calling it the Pac-10 currently does. The the Big Twelve uh, also does, and the SEC. I think we'll eventually get to. Uh, but he said, you know, my point is, as of now, we play an eight and a half game conference schedule because you are getting Notre Dame, you know, about two times every five years is, is how, how, how the math works out. And that, that's another, another pretty heavy. So if you go nine games and you're drawing Notre Dame and you are already pl- like one of these teams, be it you know, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Louisville. Am I missing anybody here who plays a consistent, good, out-of-conference, like SEC rival? Then that's a very uh, challenging schedule slate for you if you're if you're already playing nine conference games plus plus the Irish plus you know if you're Georgia Tech like Georgia, uh, that's going to really hamper what you do creatively in your other two non-conference scheduling uh, opportunities. So anyway, it, it yeah they're not playing a nine-game schedule. I really don't hate that. I don't mind going to play some other non-conference teams and uh, and to be creative with it, especially in years in which you're not getting the Irish, which probably leads us into our next topic, right? Yes, yes. The old conference realignment. Always fun to break out and uh, have the opportunity to discuss. Uh, Before we do, we'll thank the legendary team, Chad and Shannon, fantastic uh, resource for us, fantastic resource for my co-host here who's used them twice. Uh, Certainly, the market is changing. Uh, you know, you're going to want to have the best team around you to give you an idea as to how to navigate this process. You're going to want to go ahead and you know, be pre-approved and, and have as much uh, resources at your demand as possible and be able to make the decision when you want. Uh, and there's nobody else better to help you through that process than Shannon. As we constantly say, Shannon is one of the most responsive professionals that we've ever encountered. And there would no be nobody or no party better to help you through uh, the home loan process, whether it be an original loan refi or anything else, make sure to give our friends uh, uh, an honest consideration as they have been uh, nothing but brilliant for the Nolcast and have served our listeners in a manner that really probably would have been possible for us to have found in, in any other pairing. So big shout out to them and uh, FSU home loan. Uh, was it 844 FSU loan? You know it's 844 FSU loan. That is the number to call. 844 FSU loan is the number to call if you need a home loan, if you need a refi. Obviously, rates are a little bit different right now, uh, but the quality of service being provided is not changing. They're going to work their butts off to get you the best rate and the best rate for your situation. And uh, look, man, people are still buying homes out there, right? And they, unless you just got a ton of cash, you're going to need a loan. So hit those guys up, 844 FSU loan, 844 FSU loan. Let's get it done. Strike a deal. Speaking of striking deals, man, our, our transition into that was better than our transition out of that, I think. But all right. I'm on the field getting ready. We're shooting a little uh, little proof of concept show from, from the Elite 11 for, for CBS on CBS Sports HQ, which you guys should definitely watch on your CBS app. And uh, Twitter blows up. We thought it was coming. At, uh, at an announcement at four o'clock. That's that's what we had got tipped to. 
John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News, who does just a tremendous job reporting and really owning the Pac-12, like owning the beat, but also like just absolutely. They they say, you know, journalism is reporting something that people don't, don't want out. Everything else is just PR, uh, which kind of interesting, but it certainly applies to John, right? Like he, he scoops them all the time on stuff like, hey, uh, Larry Scott has them in a $50 million uh, a year lease in downtown San Francisco in which the employees cannot afford to live anywhere near there and their cars are broken into all the time. That's not uh, that's not me editorializing. Like I, I know people who worked there and their cars were constantly broken into uh, on the streets, even though it was a $50 million building. Yeah. Yeah. In the San lease France. was... Uh... Uh, yeah, it anyway, was. We could we could do a thirty minute show on the on the yeah, they, moronic nature of what the pack pack twelve was doing for a period of time. There, they had but. a consultant living like five time zones away, and it, it was it was uh, uh yeah, like if that was a if you could FOIA the pack twelve network, it would be absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh, treasure trove! All right, okay. So anyway, w- Wilder reports this stuff. Um, I did not have time to throw on sunscreen or makeup, which. Yeah, you got to wear a little makeup if you're on TV, if you're out there in the sun doing a live shot. And now I have a, a scabbing sunburn for YouTube. This is, Man, if you subscribe to our YouTube, you can see me take my hat off and have a nice uh, scabbing sunburn. Um, All the perks. Absolutely. Yeah. USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. I don't know that the Big Ten was actively looking to expand right this second. I think they were quite honestly, looking to strike a short-term TV deal and then get another big-time TV deal in probably four to six years. But if you can add USC and UCLA, you do it. And the the math on this is pretty simple. Uh, The Big Ten Network already has consistent carriage throughout California. Um, There are a decent number of alums in California. But if you saw the report, I think Cole Kublik put this out there, or at least that's, that's who I saw it from. They went from $0.10 cents per household per month for the Big Ten Network to $1.50 per cable box per month in, in Southern California. Hello. Yeah. Like that That is just, the Big Ten just made an absolute fortune. So when we talk about how markets don't matter, what we mean is they don't matter as much as they used to. It used to be like the Big Ten went and grabbed uh, Rutgers and and uh, almost said Syracuse, Rutgers and Maryland to hit that DC market and to hit that New York market. The Big Ten did that because a they they had those two schools over a barrel in terms of finances, right? Maryland desperately needed cash and and Rutgers uh, also, but they also did it because they realized they could tell these cable providers, hey, we have a team in your state now. We have a team in in your your metro area. That means that per the you know per our agreement, we get this price. And because the Big Ten Network started their network so early and they got decent adoption of it, even at cheap prices at times, mm-hmm. uh, they were able. To, these carriers are like okay, well, it's already on these boxes. Yeah, that is our agreement. Okay, so now they get to charge a dollar fifty per household with a cable box in New York State. It's kind of genius. Now, if you are a different network, or if you're a different you know, conference out there and you don't have nationwide carriage of your network or you don't have the same type of deal like like, uh, like the Big Ten negotiated, this doesn't work quite the same way. I'm not saying you wouldn't have taken USC and UCLA. You certainly would have. 
you just you don't make the Rutgers Maryland play necessarily because it's that's all market as opposed to market and fans. Like USC and UCLA actually have legitimate fans and are are like UCLA is a huge university and USC obviously is a storied uh, program with a, a whole lot of support. That's a gangster move for, for the Big Ten. That is, uh, that's going to lead to them getting more money than the SEC, I think. Yeah, it's a, it is a certainly a statement of intent. I think it's going to change. I think it's going to change the timeline that we see other schools and conferences respond. I think it's the first move that anybody's made in 15 years uh, that I don't want to say puts the SEC on defense, but changes the SEC's thought process on this. I do think I do think that this is sig- very very significant, and, and that for the first time in a while, the SEC may think of doing things that it quite honestly hasn't, like concerned that, that Southern properties will get scooped up where previously they weren't. Um, I I think the game changed a couple days ago, y'all, and I don't, I don't want to be overly dramatic about it, but. Uh, I think almost all of the change was positive for Florida State. I have long thought that Florida State would be uh, – that the Big Ten would be the most likely landing place for Florida State. Uh, we can talk about that at another time. We don't have to get all that in, all of that uh, into this morning. Uh, but I also think this is beneficial for Florida State, uh, and it's if it has any want to get in the SEC. I'm not saying this is happening. I'm not saying anything like that. But I think the SEC's mentality and uh, the way that they look at this issue changed this week. And I think it will be uh, for the better for Florida State on uh, on both accounts. So uh, it's a it's a wild time. It's going to be a really interesting time. I personally think, uh, you know, the the big will continue. We'll probably add Washington and Oregon in time. Um but yeah, man, this is going to be a whole lot of fun to watch, and I, I don't think that you need to be concerned if you're a Florida State fan. We can watch this. I think you're one of the few schools that can enjoy watching this process play out because there's going to be a chair for you when the music ends, and there's only about four or five institutions that I can promise you is the case in the ACC. There's another four or five that I think will be okay. Yeah. There's four or five that I know will be okay, and Florida State's one of them. So watch it. Enjoy it. If you're a conference realignment fiend, then next couple months, next couple years may be a lot of fun for you. Uh, but uh, if you're a Florida State fan, I would not do so out of a place of fear. I completely agree with you on that. Um, so I, I've i never really been that worried about where FSU is going to end up. The, the, the timeline worries me some, right? Because it as as when you rack up years of earning a whole lot less than – your your other conference rivals or recruiting competition that that becomes problematic but FSU is an iconic brand they're not going to get left out right they're not they're not Boston College they're not Oregon State they're, they're not there are certain programs out there and and I've been saying it for a while and you have too I believe that they will have a br- branching off of Division one and not current Division one but a, a new reconstituted division one this is what the whole transformation committee is considering i think with this realignment that's why the transformation committee kicked the can down the road just a little bit as they recently did but we've been talking about this for well over a year that there's likely to be a splitting off of division one um alabama does not want new mexico state having the same level of vote as it does in terms of 
how many coaches can I have on staff? Uh, you know, how many scholarships can I offer? That that type of thing. These power conferences and ACC is included in this. Certainly, they're far closer to the SEC than they are to like, you know, they're not in West. They do not want to be told what to do by all these other schools. I think that for in the interim, and I'm going to define interim as like the next couple of years, we're going to have a lot of talk about a power two with SEC and Big Ten, obviously. And we'll, we'll be largely focused on, you know, where will FSU go? I mean, not every episode, but certainly like that's and when we talk realignment, it'll be where will they go SEC? Will they go Big Ten? Or will there be some kind of third power division? Could be the ACC and a couple other schools, right? It won't be really Atlantic Coastal uh, anymore feel. I mean, if you're adding you know, whoever you want to add, but I'm just not really that worried. I'm intrigued where they'll end up. I'm just not really that worried that they will uh, end up somewhere. Additionally, I think the length of the ESPN contract in some ways plays into your hands here because ESPN is owing the ACC about three billion through 2036, and that's. Not, you know, a, a, that's not an insurmountable number uh, in media rights, but it's also not something you're going to throw away, right? That would look bad if you go to your shareholders at Disney and be like, hey, yeah, we're just going to scrap this ACC thing totally. They'd be like, really? You can't salvage some assets out of this? Uh, and so I agree with you. I think there are a couple teams that you absolutely know. Like North Carolina's fine. Clemson is fine. Miami's fine. Uh, Florida State is fine. I, I tend to think that like a Virginia Tech, NC State, because teams like like programs do want to get into Raleigh. I mean, if if the SEC takes UNC, the Big Ten's going to want a piece of North Carolina. North Carolina is one of those southern states growing. That's why, like, I feel Utah is safe, right? Utah is mm -hmm. growing like crazy with all yeah. the taxes in California. All the families moving out to Utah. Yeah. Um, you know, Virginia, like, if the the Big Ten has a piece of the DC market with with, with Maryland. The Hokies are not technically DC market, but it's in the same state that touches the DC market. They're kind of, they're kind of wrapped into that in some ways. I put I, Virginia Tech in my second group. Um, <clears throat> I kind of ranked these loosely this morning. Uh, yeah. Second group of, of cautiously optimistic schools. I personally think Virginia Tech and NC State will land in the SEC it, as as things are right now. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all if I was Virginia Tech. Um, I'm not quite the same confidence that Florida State UNC has, but I'm right there. I I, I think Florida State or, or I think Virginia Tech is uh is one of the more comfortable schools here, and it wouldn't shock me at all to see NC State and Virginia Tech in time eventually become part of the SEC. Uh, but we'll see. You know, a lot. I of also time. sorry. No, go ahead. No, no, okay. Just a lot of time to see that play out. I also think Pitt, oddly enough, is gonna land somewhere i think it wouldn't shock and i know this sounds ludicrous y'all wouldn't shock me to see Pitt be part of the sec in time either so sure that's just my two thoughts all right i also think that we may look back at this in a couple of years and be like it was so silly that we were worried about to go to sec or big 10 mm -hmm. because i'm not really sure these things even exist once everything is run by the college football playoff which i do believe is where we are headed not in terms of like overly focused on the college ball playoff, but in terms of that is who is running the new D1, a breakaway from the NCAA. And then they'll probably reconstitute it in whatever way they see fit as leagues pool their resources, especially if players in D1 are collect, are unionizing. We have collective bargaining 
which if they do, I think the players will get their asses kicked and we'll have a, a pretty good reduction in terms of expected player salary compared to what we may be headed towards right now with some of this NIL stuff. They're going to care about parity a little bit, but they're also going to care about you know, keeping interest in this stuff, which again ties back into parity. But the, the other thing is like people are like, oh, we, we need to get one of the last few spots in. I I don't really see a situation in which the Super League is 30 teams. Now, if you want to sell me that it's 48, I think that's on the lower end of possible. I think the upper bound is probably like 67. You know, I sketched it out. I was like, which teams do you think would they want in? And here's one of the reasons why. If you tell me that it's going to be 36 and you're going to have an 18-team SEC, which of these teams is okay going three and nine every year? Do you think Arkansas is? Are fans gonna gonna drive into Auburn to see them go four and eight every year? Is Missouri cool going two and twelve? every year because as I, as I said on our, on our group text in the NFL when you go two and 12 or two and when they play 18 games now if you go two and 16 in the NFL guess what you probably get the number one pick and then unless you're the Jaguars you eventually turn it around or the Jets I guess in college football it's not like that there's no draft college football is the very definition of make it take it right <laughs> You never. Igor's laughing because he's like, "All right, I can't. I I, I cannot rebut the the concept." Nah, of making but now we're having a good, a good, honest disagreement via text, and then all of a sudden, Bud hit me with a the make it take it reference, and I didn't realize we were out in the driveway playing twenty one again. But uh, yeah, absolutely, I didn't have anything to respond to that. No, you're right. There is you need no, teams to take losses. You there is no system designed for enough. parity. One hundred percent. Like you need somebody who's going to sign up. Maybe it's a maybe it's a pit. Right. Like, okay, we're desperate enough. We need the check. We want to get into this new division. We know we ain't winning shit. We're we want the check. We want to. We'll, we'll take these losses, kind of like West Virginia did in the Big Twelve, you know, or Rutgers, right? Do you think Rutgers fans were having more fun in the old Big East when they were actually in the conversation to make a BCS bowl, and they were poor, or do you think they're having more fun now, in which their absolute best case scenario is make a bowl? But they've got some money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know. Fund all their Olympics and everything else. Yeah. It's hard to say. Uh, it, there is this, you know, a, initial surge of uh, of excitement when you know you're going to have the resources that, you know, everybody else has and you're going to be able to do what you want from an athletic standpoint. And then there is the harsh reality that you're, you know, staring at more seasons than not where you're under 500. Uh, and I do agree with you that, you know, losses have to be found somewhere. Um, I don't think the number I, I I haven't heard anybody that I would deem serious really pin this number in the thirties. I think it's I think it's in the high forties at a minimum, and I think you're probably gonna end up in a number, you know, somewhere around I, it wouldn't shock me to see sixty four teams or something like that. Something that is a mathematical friendly number that you can work with and um uh, Again, I try to limit the soccer references, but it's kind of similar to what the Premier League did 15, 20 years ago, where they just kind of created their own top league from within an existing structure. Uh, if you want to go back and look at that, and uh, obviously it was very successful. It's become uh, perhaps the most lucrative TV product on on all the planet. But uh, yeah, just to get back to our original point here, it, it'll be fun. It's great to 
you know, log on to Twitter at Friday night and see people predicting crazy stuff. And maybe it comes true. Maybe it doesn't. But if I'm a Florida State fan, I enjoy this process. I don't get emotionally wrapped up and concerned that, you know, you're going to wake up Saturday morning and the bus will have left and you're not on it. Now, I will say this. I'm not trying to scare anybody. But if I'm Florida State, I want this conversation to take place now. And when I say now, I mean in the next two to three years. I want it to be, well, you still got a national championship in your relative recent rearview mirror. Um, I, long, long way of saying this, I don't want to go, I don't want to average seven and five for the next 10 years and then be negotiating this and having this discussion uh, if I'm Florida State. I want to do this while I'm still one of the, you know, relatively speaking, premier brands in the sport. And uh, I'd rather have this conversation and division occur in the near future rather than the distant. Uh, but it's not as though Florida State has a whole lot of control over that timeline. But, uh, you know, that of which occurs uh, closer to now, I think, is beneficial for Florida State. 100 um, percent, which, you know, leads us to. Well, a couple of things, one ACC teams that that were very confident the Super League could function without absent some sort of and you are dealing with state governments here. We We, we saw this in in the in the expansion right like you had to take uh who'd you have to take virginia i think or, or virginia tech back in the day mm. i'm trying trying to recall how, how this all went down right it was uh there were definitely some schools that got in because of legislative stuff like baylor got into the big 12 because right. of state government yeah um this happens North Carolina is the state that I think this plays out and is the most likely to play out because one, it's not a dumb, like, look, if anything comes up in the state of Georgia, whatever's the most beneficial for the university of Georgia is what immediately goes through the legislative process. That's not true in North Carolina. You've got, uh, you know, pools of influence at UNC, NC state, uh, obviously Duke and, and Wake are private schools, but influential in their own manner. You've got all these different colleges, uh, 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 Davidson and other places in North Carolina. It isn't a one school state. I do think you could get into a little bit of a political soup in North Carolina as this starts to untangle. Uh, Virginia slightly less so, but that's you know if if uh, legislative bodies are going to get involved, I think it's probably going to be in the state of North Carolina, and it's something that I'd keep an eye on. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, I think it can be done. Like, look, UCLA and Cal are part of the same system. And UCLA is going to the Big Ten, and as of now, Cal is not. But I, I agree with North Carolina is the most obvious one, uh, unless the legislatures uh, are convinced that there will be landing spots for both teams. For instance, if you were to split up the Hokies and Who's, possible, right? Uh, yeah, I, I. But like, do you need Boston College to run this thing? No. Absent legislative issues, do you need Wake? No. Uh, do you need Syracuse? Probably not. Um, Duke's an interesting one just because of how, how much do you care about basketball? It does give you off-season TV inventory, even though it makes a lot less money than football does. I have heard that Duke uh, has an absolute goldmine of an athletic uh, endowment right now. And like their investments that they invested in over the last couple of years, they invested in some startups. This is secondhand, but I mean, I'm, Look, I, I'm fairly confident that this is true just from some folks I talked to trying to get an answer of like, why did Mike Elko take that job? Uh, apparently, Mike Elko is making a mint mm -hmm. and Duke is absolutely flush with athletic department cash right now. 
I guess when you invest in some startups and they, and they hit really hard, it's uh, it's a good thing. Yeah. So of maybe the schools Duke can say two, we're committed. Yeah. The two biggest athletic brands that I'd be concerned about are Duke and actually Louisville. Uh, Louisville, I think, will be okay, but Louisville is going to have to continue to be aggressive and work political channels and stuff like that. I don't, they're not one of the schools that I think is, uh, they're not very big 10 ish. Yeah. They're not very big 10 ish. They've already got an sec school in Kentucky. Uh, I would, their, their recipes, their ingredients of the recipe that would have me a little bit concerned if I'm, if I'm the Cardinals. Where's Louisville rank as a media market. I, I, in my head, I think that they are, uh, bigger than they are because obviously they're in our league and, um, uh, is Louisville in the top 10? No, no not top, top 20, 10. top 30. Sorry, I when I googled it, it came up as top a list of the top 10, but it's definitely yeah. not. Uh, I would say they're probably a top 50 media market. Uh, you're, you're good at this. Uh, yeah, they're not top 10, they're 52nd in the okay. country. Yeah, so to me, like that is their name is more famous than the actual size of their media market, I guess. Not that 52nd sucks, it certainly doesn't, but that's a, that's a really good point by you. I and yet their fans do show up to stuff. They are very competitive in three sports. They do spend a lot of money. They have very good booster support. Uh, all those factors, I, I think, certainly do um, do matter in this. But we were talking about a lot of ACC teams going here. I'm not really sure what's going to happen with the ACC. On the one hand, they do have that contract through 2036. I'm not saying that you could not negotiate your way out of that. I'm saying that it would be expensive. And I think any if anybody's going to break free of the ACC individually, it would have to it, it would be something crazy that you're probably getting an ESPN or a Fox involved with somehow. And they're basically paying your bills for a couple of years because they want you because it may, you make it work geographically because you do owe the ACC you know, quite a bit of money through the end of 2036. I mean, it, it, it's, what is it, like 200, 280 million or something like that, if I'm just doing the, did the math real quick. Was it third? No, uh, I'm wrong. It's like 340 million, I think, if you were to, but that's that's only at current numbers, right? They, they still own your media rights. So it'd be very difficult, I think, for one team to break off absent maybe if the ACC sensed impending doom anyway and they started renegotiating the grant of rights and said okay like here's a here's a buyout number or whatever uh, or you know, maybe there's some way that you could invalidate the contract again we just talked about state legislatures mucking this stuff up in terms of teams leaving and making sure that you take this team if you want to take that team maybe there's a way to uh, have state legislatures get involved or the courts to get involved and uh, and invalidate the grant of rights which again this is not legal advice, but is maybe in theory possible, but also could take a long time, could be very expensive. If you're wrong, the consequences are enormous. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of stuff to consider there. But something the that I would certainly want to have multiple legal opinions on. Yeah. Uh, you would a... want a lot of teams to go. That's yeah. the th like that's the way this happens. I don't think it's a tr I do not think it's a slow trickle from the ACC. I think it's, hey, by the way these seven teams are bouncing now now the the contract is invalidated and uh and good luck to you or maybe the acc adds a bunch of teams i i do think it's notable by the way that some big 10 reporters are reporting 
that as long as Notre Dame uh, pays the buyout fee and what it loses, it's I think it has a grant of rights for its non-football teams. Do you think like it Notre and it has its whole NBC contract, which is a huge other issue? But it's not crazy to think Notre Dame could say, okay, we'll forego those grant of rights uh, for those non-football sports, and we'll somehow find a way to mix our NBC contract in with yep. uh, with the Big Ten. Like that could happen. It, it's not crazy to me to think that Notre Dame is playing in a with some kind of affiliation in in two to three years. <clears throat> Wouldn't that be the the <laughs> That'd be the ultimate kiss of thanks to the ACC is if you do this and then they just jump off to the big first chance they get. And, uh, you know, you get to have their Olympic sports for eight years that they all they wanted was a landing place for them. And uh, you're just kind of doing the old ACC move. Uh, so, yeah, it is. Uh, it's interesting if the big as some have reported, if the bigs, uh, Big Ten, whatever you want to call them at this point, attention is on Notre Dame. Uh, before they move anywhere else, that'll be very interesting and will certainly give us a, a pretty clear idea. The, the ACC's only chance at survival has always been somehow working the Irish into full membership. And uh, I think they've been pretty blunt about telling you that's not going to happen, particularly if you, you look at the uh, comments that they made post-pandemic when they had to go through a full ACC schedule. Uh, they were like, yeah, it was nice, and it only reinforced our desire to never be full members. Uh, okay, so at least you're honest. Uh, I mean, they've told the ACC exactly what they, how they think they see this playing out, um, absent there being some kind of, you know, obligation from a competitive standpoint to be to play at the highest level, which by all accounts has more or less been removed. Uh, I mean, like you've got to win a championship to a conference championship to get in the playoffs or something like that. Um, I don't think full membership in the uh, ACC and Notre Dame ever come to fruition. Uh, but I, I even think, you know, you just talked about, this is a long wordy way of saying this. You might need seven teams to leave at once. Uh, I agree with you. Or I think if you get clear ideas to what Notre Dame's doing, that that'll be a catalyst for some of this to take place. Because at that point, there is no path. There is no logical, realistic path of the ACC staying intact uh, as is, it's always been dependent upon, you know, either trying to get Notre Dame full membership or pulling one of these crazy ass rabbits out of a hat uh, of like getting Texas to join or going to the coastal conference, which was a theory five or six years ago, which would have had like some of the California schools and West coast schools involved. And obviously uh, a decent piece of that has now been taken off the table as well. So kind of the remaining Hail Marys for the ACC have fallen through. And I think if Notre Dame provides clarity that, you know, you may see some of these other schools uh, move all the quicker because they're legitimately at that point would be no real path to survival. 100% on, on that. Um, yeah. So uh, too long didn't read or too long didn't listen. TLDL, I guess. Uh, long-term, I don't think either of us are all that worried Uh it is better if this happens sooner rather than later so you don't fall further behind. I mean, right now, Rutgers is going to make twice the money as you are. Last worry I have on this is that given the relationship between Miami and Clemson and mm -hmm. that, you know, Miami's AD is Radakovich and he was, a, you know, at Clemson, did a good job there. Uh, do you worry those two are, are like, could be better dancing partners than, than an FSU Clemson? Like, I think my, Miami with the market is certainly more valuable 
market-wise than FSU is. FSU has more fans and like actual you know people who care about it. Yeah. Um, short answer, I thought about this last night a decent amount. Uh, I do think it's uh, legitimate. I know in the past that Florida State and Clemson have had a um, loose understanding of each other. Uh, I'll say that as far as what they were doing, and there was a good line of communication. Um, I, Radakovich and, and the Clemson relationship is something that I thought about. But again, that's like – you know, that's of a thinking that like, there's only like two seats at the table and those two are going to get it. You know, I just I don't think that's in play. Uh, I don't think that you're going to be outflanked by Miami and, you know, there's two two seats available and you're the third one left holding the bag. I, I just uh, as it's currently situated, I don't see that being the case. And, and Florida State, uh, you know, it's got an athletic director that we've been able to talk about a lot the past couple episodes based off what happened in a baseball move. Um it's also got a president that uh, I think is prepared to go through this and, and certainly has some academic background that I think will draw upon. And uh, I think think Florida State's going to be OK, y'all. I, I do. I just don't see any way that they don't land uh, in, you know, either the broader super conference that gets created of 60 or one of these two mega conferences, uh, if you believe that that's ultimately the way that this plays out. Let's uh, let's go to listener questions. Let's do. We've got. Uh, oh, what? hold up. We have Elite 11, don't we? Well, and a lot of our questions are kind of based off that, too. That was uh, when I originally threw up the question sheet before the college football world changed. Uh, we were more thinking that we were going to be leaning on your experience out at Elite, Elite 11. And so I think a decent amount of these questions come from there before we get into the conference realignment uh portion of the questions oh um but why don't we start with Derek's question and then if there's anything else from elite 11 that we don't organically cover i'll give you the floor Derek asked bud what characteristics do you personally prioritize when evaluating top quarterback recruits at at events such as elite 11 they're obviously very talented uh but what traits characteristics separate say the number four prospect from the number 11 prospect that's a great question from Derek. So yeah, I was out at Elite 11 for 24-7 Sports, and uh, you can see a lot of the video I took actually on the Knowles 24-7 YouTube page in the coming days as our, our production assistants cut that up. Um, so characteristics that I actually care about at Elite 11. Um, I do value talking to these kids. I know that sounds silly, but you can kind of tell. Like Some of these guys get it, and some of them just, just don't. And for the most part, it's a pretty mature, mature group of kids we had this year. Um, I like talking to Chris Parson, by the way. Like I, I know some people out there have have not been into it, but like when I've talked to him, he hasn't had like other people around him, and it's just been. You know, I don't mean like other media members. I just mean like like he just you just get Chris by himself. Pretty mature kid, right? Like he's like, look, yes, I am taking other visits. I work really hard to get to where I am as far as my status as a recruit and I'm going to enjoy that process just upfront about it, like a very mature approach to it. So, and you know, yet reiterated, like he's excited to be at FSU. He wants Lucas Simmons to join him. Uh, you know, he's extremely excited about that Rod Kearney coming. Uh, so like just Chris as a person, cool with me. Um, 
What else do I look for? I look for accuracy, like actually getting the ball to where it's supposed to go. I do care about your motion to the extent that is it fixable? You know, I was talking to some of the quarterback coaches out there, and for the one kid, they're like, no, that that guy should play tight end. Like he's just like like I like that's fixable. That's not. Uh you know Parson his his stroke actually reminds me of a little bit. And I don't mean this just because this kid played at the FSU for a season. Uh, but Everett Golson actually, like game wise, kind of similar. Go, go go back and watch some Everett Golson stuff in high school. And, and Golson was a better prospect than, than Parson was, or Parson is, I think. Uh, and he had a decent college career. You know, he, he, if you start at Notre Dame and you start at FSU, like that's that's fairly impressive, even, even if he didn't actually end up killing it. Uh, that's who Chris kind of reminds me of, actually. He had an up and down day or up and down week. He won the rail shot challenge, which is kind of the end of day one thing where they they throw they throw that rail shot over and over again. It's an eliminator style thing. If you if you if you throw a bad one, you're out. So. You get three throws. Chris actually won uh, among the high school kids and and the college counselors, uh, which is cool, right? Now that is just a, a ball that you can see him throw pretty often uh, in high school. You can tell he likes to throw that route. Uh, he struggled some on 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 day two though, right? As far as the going through the pro day, I think he had one of the lower scores out there, depending on who's doing the scoring. Uh, I think another network may have had him with the lowest. So, you know that was making a variety of throws, layering the ball, putting the right amount of touch and velo on the ball um, is something that, uh, you know, that could be an issue. But I will say the staff out there loved his energy. They really did. Like like Elite 11 guys, they liked Chris Parson. They liked his attitude. They, they liked how he was embracing the coaching and the drills. Uh, day three, I, he was kind of up and down. I, I was able to watch some of the video of it. I didn't get to see all of it live because, again, we were on live TV. But there's another monitor. Like we can, if you're at the, the desk, there's a monitor showing the live feed of the seven on seven game. So, like when we were in commercial break or we were throwing it to the you know the guy on the field with the field mic, the sideline reporter. You know that's uh, here we go. Hold on just a second. But is uh, doing a little bit of Saturday morning parenting here, real quickly. We'll be back uh, with him in just a second. Okay. Yeah, I just uh, heard that daddy, daddy coming up the stairs. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll have the kids on one, one episode. So yeah, I thought I thought uh, I thought Parson was okay. He actually ended up making the final Elite Eleven according to the, to the Elite Eleven staff. He did not make our final uh, at twenty four seven Sports. Based on a performance out there, I thought there was a pretty clear like three or four guys, and then there was probably another six or seven. And so if you wanted to put Parson somewhere between like 11 and 11 and 17 out of 20, I thought that was probably pretty fair. To me, there was like a, a very clear bottom three. Um, you know, guys who just were were not there yet and they they were they were struggling. Um Interestingly, I would have Brock Lynn uh, at that bottom group. Now, Brock Lynn is a guy who I really like his highlights, but I'm glad I got to see him out here because it did change my mind on him a little bit, not in terms of his ultimate ceiling, but in terms of how close he is to being a finished product. Uh, Brock Lynn's highs, I think, to the extent that he had him, were as high as almost any other quarterback out there. Maybe not the very top guys, but you know, his highs were as good as that sort of you know, 
five to eight, five to nine group. But the lows uh, were pretty bad and and more frequent than I would have anticipated. So this is one of the, the real values of getting to see those guys in person. He his bad was pretty bad. And it it uh, I think it surprised some of the folks who I talked to at Elite Eleven. They 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 thought he would be better. And they do they really like the upside. They just think it's gonna take coaching and and some time. Um, but he also could have had a just a bad week, right? I will tell you that Chris Parson was far better at Elite Eleven than he was at Elite Camp. I know we kind of angered some fans when I thought that Chris Parson was the third best quarterback at FSU's Elite Camp. <laughs> you know, which shouldn't be the case. Yeah. Uh, but that night, I thought he was. This is one of your issues of of being a, a captive to a small sample set of in person evaluation. Uh, I I said before, I had to sort of override my own in person biases on. Caleb Williams. So it looks like Bud might have just dropped here for a second. Uh, hopefully he'll be back with us momentarily. Um, so we'll be able to draw. Okay. And he's back. There we go. Like, when I saw Caleb Williams in person, he didn't wow me. I was like, okay, the film is so damn good that I have to uh, just say, all right, what you saw was just bad sample set or, or too limited to drop on. Right. Like he just, you can have a bad day in front of evaluators or hell, evaluators can have a bad day. Right. Um, still like Brock Lynn as a prospect, just think he's a little more raw than I realized. And it was good to get out there and, and see him. Um, yeah. I, I do value seeing the kids motion in person to the extent that sometimes, like if you have a Tebow type motion, uh, well, as one quarterback coach out there, who played in the league told me you can play quarterback and you play quarterback in college, but you're not gonna play quarterback for a living. You're not gonna play quarterback for a long time. He's like, and there, and there have been guys out here who privately I pulled aside at the end of three days and said, Hey, you need to go play tight end. You need to think about playing defensive back. Like it's hard to say this, but throwing motions are very hard to fix at times. And there are some parts we can, and if it's footwork related, we, we probably can if it's just this really funky looking motion, but neither Parson nor, nor, uh, uh, nor Brock Glenn have that. Um, and I can certainly still see the upside in both. I do think the kid FSU has for 2024 though, probably has more upside than both these guys. This is a Chrome, Chromanac or uh, Chromanac. Had, yeah, kid out of Jacksonville that we've talked about, uh, or I guess Savannah, uh, that we've talked about works with some people in Jacksonville. Um, good deal. I feel like we hit most of the 11 elite 11 conversation there. Uh, Mason asked, Bud, can you give an update on wide or ask both of us if we can give an update on wide receiver recruiting? How is FSU's and then a QB board in 22 affecting wide receiver recruiting? Seems like we're in a number of guys, but I worry about our ability to close. Mason, I certainly understand your concern about closing with what we've done in recruiting uh, at the wide receiver position in the past couple of years. Um, but I'll certainly give you a chance to answer this. It's interesting when I talk to the people that I historically provided me the best interest or the best uh, information when it comes to recruiting. Um, I almost get a different story every two weeks when it comes to wide receivers right now. It's, it's the pendulum swinging a little bit. I think Florida State's okay in the short term. I think there's uh, enough guys on the board that I, th I don't think they'll goose egg it again, which obviously is not the bar that you judge recruiting by. Uh, 
I have the same long-term concerns at the position that I've had, uh, but I I do think that you know Florida State will have a, a little bit more success at that position than than maybe some are projecting for them right now, uh, at least for this year and this year alone. I, I agree with you on that. Um, there are some boards that I am concerned about. Linebacker is one of them. Again, didn't like that hire. I think you were trying to paper over for a defensive coordinator who maybe didn't connect with his guys that much, and you ended up keeping the DB coach on staff who I didn't think they would keep on staff after they missed on Travis Hunter. I Ultimately, I think a, a defensive staff reset, not the D-line coaches, but you know, from linebacker back would not be the worst idea. And they didn't do that. And I'm not going to back off those comments because that's what I believe. Okay. So with all that said, I do not hate where they are right now at receiver. They have two kids who they really like. Now, I will say Vendrevious Jacobs is much better when he camps at FSU than when I've seen him in other settings, seven on, Under Armour camps, et cetera. But he does seem to ball out in Tallahassee. So uh, if you're the staff, you're like, yeah, we got something here. We, when, we work, when we work with this kid, we love him. Uh, they're very happy with Goldie Lawrence. They think he's a good possession guy who wowed them with his speed uh, that he ran when he was wearing the GPS, from what I was told. So they're very happy with the two that they have. I would offer Micah Mays. That's probably the only offer that I think right now that is reasonable that they should make. I think Micah Mays is a good player, versatile kid, plays multiple sports, runs track. I think he could help you. Now, the top two kids that they're chasing, other than Micah Mays, as far as like the very, very top guys, are Hakeem Williams and Jalen Brown. I think Jalen Brown's going to Miami. A lot of other people also do. I know when there was a recent uh, prediction that he was going to LSU, some people who I trust laughed at that pretty hard. and like, yeah, okay, he's he's going to Miami. FSU is in that. He does seem to like Ron Dugans, from what I've been told. Uh, and the kid makes positive comments about Ron Dugans as well when interviewed. So I don't think that's just lip service. I, I actually think even though Dugans' track record here so far has not been good, uh, and they clearly did try to replace him in the offseason, we with the reports of them talking to Juwan Sider, he does seem to be connecting with the the top two receivers on their board, Jalen Brown, who I would say is two, and Hakeem Williams, who I believe is is number one, and uh, like a top five receiver-ish in the whole country. South Florida kid. They do have some unique connections there, which could help them. Ultimately, if they win, uh, and they're probably going to be on the upper bounds of winning. I mean, this is going to need to be a you have a slightly better team than I think you're going to have, and you also get a little bit lucky in some of your coin flip type you know, games, then I think they will be in it for Hakeem Williams, unless just something goes absolutely nuts, right? Uh, which is certainly possible. Your main competition right there is A&M and Georgia. So if FSU wins, that will probably be a litmus test of how successful you are right now. And this is going to be a donate to rising spear type thing too, because you know, those programs are not messing around once their kids get on campus. In fact, you saw the recent video from a yes. I'm sure. Yeah. Hilarious. All, all, these, all these guys in these luxury suites are going to, are going to get you absolutely paid. Once It'll you pay on you campus. a lot of money. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that, that clear cut, but I kind of yeah. did. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, if you don't donate to rising spear, that, that would be, uh, and you want to be in that thing. Now, if they, if they don't win, it's not really a reflection on rising spear. You're not going to get a top five receiver in the country 
based solely off NIL if you are a seven and five type team, even though I think seven and five would be a, a quality record for this team this year. Uh, they're in on William Fowles as well, who I, a guy I know they like. Uh, not a bad player in, in his own right. But the, the two difference makers at the top of the board, I think they would like to take four receivers this year if they could. I would offer Micah Mays. I also think like Wake Forest liking Micah Mays a lot tells me something. They're very good at receiver evals. Um, but other than that, man, like I, the receiver board is a position that they just need to win. If they don't win, all right, whatever. Like we're probably talking. If they don't win, we're probably talking new head coach in twenty four. Yeah, probably, so, probably reevaluating the the board entirely uh, at that yeah. point. So, um, I have a this is a random comment, but I have a couple of chickens. Uh, I keep chickens in my backyard, and they're just singing their hearts out right now. So, if you guys hear some crazy stuff in the background, that's uh, that's I, what it is. I do not hear that. We're, 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 were you picking up my kids in the background? Uh, I heard him coming up the stairs, but okay. uh, my, my chickens are just having some good time on a Saturday morning, evidently. Uh, but uh, got a couple um, questions here. Oh, can I say one more thing about the board? Please. I will say that with the uh, with the non-cap on yearly scholarships now, if I was on FSU staff, I would be looking to take more than just three or four offensive linemen. I would try to capitalize while you have Alex Atkins on this staff. And if you take, if you, if you want to take a couple more guys who you think are not like take eight offensive linemen, but it wouldn't shock me if they decide to take five. If you, if there's a bunch of kids that, that, it, you know, AA ends up connecting with and they want in, I think you take them and then you just let that room sort itself out via competition and physical development. One thing that always sorts itself out is uh, working with Matt Lewis and the great team at Congruity. Uh, there is no better person, whether it looks like you're needing assistance with uh, HR, excuse me, whether assistance with HR or uh, comprehensive internal services that you're offering uh, your employees payroll. Uh, there is nobody else better in the space than Congruity, and we're ever so fortunate uh, to work with the team and work with Matt Lewis in particular. Uh, as many have done, if you'd like a third-party introduction, feel free to reach out to me on social media or shoot us an email, anything else. More than happy to introduce you to Matt and the team. Spend 10 minutes with them. Five of it can be talking about recruiting. Five of it can be uh, trying to explore where a good fit is for he and your business. As I'm fond of saying, Matt's been great for us and our small business, and has been fantastic for seven or eight of the Nolcast listeners so far. A uh, big thank you to Congruity for providing uh, continued sponsorship of the Nullcast and uh, people that we're fortunate to work with. And so would you. Again, congruityhr.com is the website. And a big thank you to Matt for making the Nullcast possible. Where do we want to go now here? We've got a couple final questions here that are all kind of surround uh, the idea of conference realignment. I think we've We've hit on most of them as I look at it. Um, Michael asked a question here. Uh, he said on cover three uh, about <clears throat> on cover three, Bud mentioned one or two major conference structure per perhaps being made up of 35 to 40 teams. What are FSU's chances of being included? Do you see a series of events where FSU uh, could be the odd man out if that is the number? Uh what is the timeline and what does SF, FSU need to do moving forward to make sure they're in the top league when the dust settles? So if it's 35 to 40 teams, well, right now they're at what? 
32 if we assume nobody gets bounced. Uh, in this hypothetical, if it's just 35, I think your chance of being left out is, is non-zero, right? I mean, because Notre Dame would, would be 33. Yeah, if it's if it's only going to be thirty six, let's just say thirty six, because okay? that's sure. a little bit yeah. easier of a number. Yeah, I could if it's going to be thirty six, then you could you could have a problem. I I just circle back to what we talked to. I I don't think there's any chance that's the number, uh, and I really don't think the number is going to be in the low forties either for reasons. Uh, one of, uh you know, compatibility or the ability to compete and markability, uh, as, as Bud talked about, you're not, you're going to have a hard time marketing to fans and getting fans to be excited. If, you know, all they know is going three and nine in the, in the super conference every year. Um, so I, I see what you're saying, Michael, uh, if those are the numbers, sure. That could be problematic. Uh, I just don't think that's the structure of which ultimately we're operating off of. Yeah. At, at 40, I'm not worried at all. If you told me it was a flat 36, I think there has to be some worry. I'd be very concerned if it was 36 because Notre Dame's in front of you. And then I would be worried about uh, the kind of UNC. Yeah, you need UVA, some markets that you're not in Clemson, right now. Clemson, Miami, potentially. Oregon uh, also, I think. Yeah, or, Oregon, I think, is going to be in play. Washington, too. Uh, so, yeah, if that's the case, I'm a little worried. 40, I'm, I'm confident. Anything north of 40, I have uh, no real concerns about you being left behind. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. All right. Um, let me see. What else do we have here? See, Dave asked about what would happen, uh, need to happen to leave the conference. We've kind of talked about this. It will either be a group exit or uh, somebody having talked to enough lawyers to make them feel confident that they can actually challenge this thing. Uh, and yeah. That that's the that's the solo exit strategy. Uh, the the you know the other one is that we wake up one day and there's a group of seven that are ready to leave the conference immediately and tells the conference to you know deal with it or or figure it out. Yeah, or or the ACC deciding it wants to be like the number one conference conference of the lower level and giving everybody who wants out a buyout number if they want to pay it. And if not, then they go like like then the ACC is like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna be the best the best league in the non highest division. You guys can all have this buyout number if you want out, take it or leave it by X date. Otherwise, you're staying here. And then they go and they get, I don't know, UCF to replace Florida State and uh, a couple other teams, yeah. right? Which who knows? Kind of doubt that, but. I think you're right. It's like some kind of interesting legal challenge or everybody leaves as a group. Sam says, true or false, the ACC makes it through the entirety of the new scheduling format announced this week with all its current membership intact. This would be seeing through the entirety of the 2026 season. 2026 season. Ooh, this is kind of a, this is a really good, good question. It's I a good timeline. Good timeline. Yeah. All right, so new playoff. If we think that Texas and Oklahoma don't go to the SEC until 25, which the Big 12 is playing hardball with them. And I think that's instructive, by the way, that the Big 12 is trying to play hardball there. Um, 
maybe for how the ACC will act if schools mm-hmm. want to leave. Because they're, they're not even really trying to challenge the Big 12's grant of rights. They're just waiting until it runs out. I okay. Are we counting? Like, I'm, I'm looking for an out here. Are we? Are we counting Notre Dame in this? No, right. That's a separate agreement. Yeah, let's let's say that's separate. As as technically, they aren't really part of the three three five math. Uh, so yeah. So it's five more. Well, I. I will say yes that they do. I, I'm, I'm not convinced this moves fast. Okay, I'll say false. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. It's a good timeline. It's a good question, Sam. Um, it's, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I think, uh, <clears throat> I think we'll see some movement by then. But uh, we'll see. I would Final not question. bet on it. Like, like I would not bet on my answer. Would, would you yeah. bet on yours? Like, like you're, you're very convinced. No, I'm, I'm probably fifty five percent convinced that you don't that okay. of my false. Um, Final question comes from Connor. We somewhat discussed this, Connor, so if we, we don't feel shortchanged if we're not here for a long time. would like a discussion about what the Big Ten me- move means to Florida State and the ACC. I hope Alford is working the phones. I can assure you you've got an athletic director that is uh, exploring everything out there and that this didn't come as a, a complete and total surprise to, uh, from what I understand. Um what it means to the ACC is all the things that we've talked about uh, and that the, you know, the conference has been consistently outflanked by its rivals. And in my opinion, we'll ultimately probably not see this process through. Um, I, uh, the biggest thing about the big 10 move, and I'll just reiterate what I said is that I'm pretty sure it has made the boys in Birmingham reevaluate things and have a legitimate concern about another conference for the first time since you know, the middle of the 2000s. Yeah, I, I do not think that the boys in Birmingham are going to be having their own playoff now. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I never really thought they would. I thought that was just kind of a silly little, oh, we're going to take our ball and go home thing that they wouldn't actually do. But uh, I'm pretty sure that the SEC is not going to have its own playoff now. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, yeah, because the Big Ten is going to make an absolute truckload of money. <laughs> Oh man, this is fun. This is fun. It was good to wake up early on a Saturday morning and get an all cast in as always. Love uh love being able to record. Uh we'll put this out there. You guys will have a chance to consume it over the long weekend. Thank you so much for the support that you have uh, given to this humble podcast over the years. And uh we're always fortunate to be able to to do this and and enjoy the uh you know level of interest that this podcast has had for more than a decade now. So big thank you to you, the listener. I hope all y'all have a great weekend. Wonderful 4th of July. Be safe out there. Uh, you know, fireworks and alcohol are a uh, fun pairing to an extent, and then uh, you probably need to let one of them go. So uh, have a great weekend, bud. Have a great time with the family. Uh, we'll be back with you next week. And until then, this has been the Nullcast. Happy 4th, buddy. <laughs>